Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Andrew and I were talking this morning about, I don't know how many of you remember this, but when we were up at the Northside building, um, I came up one time with a cooler. Anybody remember that? Yeah. And you're thinking, what, does he bring his lunch up here or something? <laughs> and, um, and actually, I had about a 20-ounce piece of raw meat in there that we actually used for illustration. And no, no raw meat this morning. We are going to get a little bit raw this morning, though, just to forewarn you. Um, and, and I'm going to ask um, some questions of you. I'm going to have you enter into those with me. Um, that I've been asking myself um, for this past season. Uh, they're going to be challenging. They're going to be a little provocative, but I think they, they're going to get you in a place where you can really receive what the Lord has for you. You ready to do this? Yeah, awesome. Um, let me have you stand one more time. We're going to read the scriptures we're going to look at this morning. I have, I have three of them here. <clears throat> This first one's in 2 Corinthians 4, and it starts like this. It says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. (laughs) We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Verse 16, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day, for our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And then a couple more real short ones here. Romans 8, 38 says, I am convinced, and this is Paul, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ. And the last one's in 2 Corinthians 6, a real simple verse. This is where we're going to focus today. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. You can be seated. Uh, About a year ago, through some uh, a routine medical exam and some blood work, 
Uh, Kathy and I discovered that the PSA level in my blood had taken a pretty big jump. And that led us to a biopsy. And we waited anxiously for the results, and those results revealed that I had a very high-risk and aggressive cancer. And I vividly <laughs> remember sitting at my desk reading that pathology report from the biopsy, and they weren't the results that we were hoping for. Nor were they the results that many of you were praying for. <laughs> and I sat there stunned and numb, and I took a deep breath and blew it out, and emotion overwhelmed me, and I laid my head down on my desk, and my heart was really heavy. And then the questions started to spin around in my head, and I cried out to God, God, what are you up to? Where are you taking me? How will you answer the prayers of the army of Holy Spirit-filled people that are praying on my behalf? Thank you, by the way. Don't stop praying. <laughs> on July 22nd of last summer, I had major surgery, and during my recovery, I once again opened up a post-surgical pathology report. And we were so relieved to read that the cancer was eliminated and was not showing up anywhere in my body. Yeah, yeah amen. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But God wasn't finished writing the story. My next blood test revealed to us through another PET scan, or blood test revealed and sent us to a PET scan. And again, we waited for that report. And the PET scan tracer lit up some residual cancer. And tomorrow morning, I get to start radiation. <laughs> yeah. Has this been a difficult season? Yes. Do I get anxious about what the next exam might show? Yes. Do I believe God is the healer? Yes. Do I believe that God is good and faithful and trustworthy? Yes. Have I lost my joy? No. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love that is revealed in Jesus Christ. We just read that. And we're a people here of hope and joy because of the tremendous things that Jesus did on our behalf. We've heard that all morning. But simultaneously, we live in a world of suffering, and it's a reality that's all around us. But suffering doesn't change the fact that God is good, <laughs> that he is faithful. And because of the amazing and practical wisdom in God's word and the glory and the power of his presence, we don't have to run away from this topic. There is an unending library of books written on this subject and sermons and songs written and other kinds of resources but the truth and authority in the Bible is by far our best resource. And as followers of Jesus, we also have the Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth as we read what's in the scriptures. The Bible never deals with suffering as some kind of concept, but rather points to the down-in-your-gut kind of heartache of real human experience.
And the scriptures never avoid or minimize the very difficult experiences of life. God never looks down on the person suffering. He never mocks our pain and he never turns a deaf ear to our cries. And he never condemns us for our struggles. The Bible presents to us a God who understands, who cares, and who invites us to come to him for help and who promises that one day he'll end all suffering for all time. That's amazing. What a great promise. Suffering's not some kind of theory. It's not impersonal. It's real and specific. And at some time, to some degree, we will all face trouble. Jesus says this in John 16, I've told you these things so that you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But what's he say next? But I have overcome the world. If you're, not, if you're not suffering right now, you're here this morning, you're not suffering, just take a look around. Someone in this room sitting pretty close to you is, maybe even the person sitting right next to you. One of the themes of the Bible is how God brings the fullness of joy, not just despite our suffering, but right in the middle of it. And you're saying, really? I am just, I am feeling no joy. I don't feel any peace. And it hurts so bad. I've not felt joy in ages. And it's really easy to say, but it's really tough to live out sometimes. How do joy and suffering coexist? Can they live together in the same place at the same time? How could the Apostle Paul say, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed? Or our hearts ache, but we always have joy? Or how could James say, count it as an opportunity for joy when you meet various trials and troubles? Well, I believe both Paul and James were able to have real joy in the middle of their difficulty because they only had one driving passion, and it was Jesus. That Jesus would be glorified and that the gospel would spread. And Paul knew that God had told him at one point that my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. When he was weak, he could be at his strongest. And that's true for us. Have you ever felt that strength? When there's nowhere else to turn, nowhere else to run to, we are in a perfect position to become fully dependent on God. And a strength and power come that we could not have come up with on our own. Paul was able to say in his letter to Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let all men know your gentleness for the Lord is at hand and have no anxiety about anything but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace, <laughs> the peace that passes all understanding might be in your heart and in your mind through Christ Jesus. What a great promise that is. 
James knew that the difficulty was for, the difficulty was an opportunity for joy because the testing of your faith produces endurance, and to let endurance have its full effect, <laughs> that you might become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And I never like that full effect part. Isn't that the hardest always? If we're really honest, God sometimes seems distant and absent in our suffering. And sometimes that peace seems really hard to come by. We're in the middle of trouble. But just because he seems absent doesn't mean he is. David in the Psalms is such a great example of how joy and suffering can live together. He was no stranger to suffering. And he often questioned God and he often cried out to God. He said this in Psalm 119, my eyes are straining to see your promises come true. When will you comfort me? I am shriveled like a wineskin in the smoke, but I have not forgotten to obey your decrees. Have you ever squinted your eyes and looked into the distance to try to imagine something and it really wasn't there? <laughs> I think we've maybe all done that. I think it's there, maybe not, I don't know. Can you see that? David was squinting at something that he knew was there. What were they? It was the promises of God. He knew what the promises were. He just couldn't see them clearly enough, and he was in turmoil waiting to them to come, to come true for him. David in Psalm 113 says this, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul and sorrow in my heart every day? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Wow, that's real life stuff. And then he finishes that same sentence with this, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. David knew the promises of God and his deepest passion was to be in the presence of God and obey his word. What's your deepest passion? Do you know the promises of God? Do you believe the promises of God? Don't skip over those questions. When the physical pain or emotional pain is so great and it hurts so bad, can you say like David, I trust in your unfailing love? And like Paul, can we say, my heart is aching, but I always have joy. Like James, do I count my troubles as an opportunity for joy? because they'll build in me an endurance and a completeness. Those are all questions I've wrestled with in this past season. And some of you are asking some of those same questions right now. 
And I realize that my story doesn't come anywhere close to some of the things you're going through right now. I know that some of you are going through cancer right now in this room and other serious medical issues. It could be a divorce in the family. It could be a tragic loss from a friend or family member, a broken heart from a broken relationship, the unexpected loss of a job and all your income, loss of baby in a womb, or the pain of having been been betrayed by someone that you poured your life into. And the list goes on. And I have learned through the years <laughs> that it's tough to go through suffering or trouble, wondering, not wondering what God is up to. And I confess that sometimes, I confess to you this morning, sometimes I even question God's goodness and his love for me. But it's okay to cry out to God. It's okay to ask questions. But a lot depends on the posture of a heart when you ask. The difference is, am I going to raise my fist at God in anger and then just walk away from him forever? Or will I cry out to him and bear my heart with all my questions, as David did? I've wrestled with a lot of questions during this season, and maybe some of you are asking these same ones. God, how much time are you granting me? What do, you want me to, what do you want me to say today? What do you want to say to me today? How do you want me to live today? What's this mean for my wife and for my family? What's this mean for the things that I'm responsible for and the things you've called me to? What do you want to teach me through this today? And when will you fulfill your promises to me? And when... Not if, but when are you going to heal me? Look, success and health and favorable circumstances are all a really, really precious gift from God. Amen. But they're also very vulnerable. Whatever suffering I've had to go through in my 69 years, it always, always exposes how much I think I'm in control and how self-sufficient I think I am. It's reminded me that whatever control I think I have can be taken away in an instant. In James 4, it says this, um, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. No fog this morning. We had fog a couple days ago. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. And it's been humbling for me to look back at my life and realize that a lot of what I thought was my trust and my faith (laughs) was really me relying on myself and the favorable circumstances of life. Suffering and disappointment and loss have the power to expose everything you've been trusting in that isn't Jesus. And when that one thing you've been trusting in gets swept away, you don't only lose that thing, but you also lose and suffer the the loss of the identity and security that are provided. That's worth saying again. Suffering and disappointment and loss have the power to expose everything you've been trusting in that isn't Jesus. 
When that one thing you've been trusting gets swept away, you don't only lose that thing, but you also suffer the loss of the identity and security it provided you. What have you been trusting? What are you trusting in in the middle of your pain? Listen, 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 and I think this slide is going to come up. When you trust in the Lord Jesus and the promises in his word, your relationship with him does not get swept away when trouble comes. Suffering reminds you and it forces you to face the reality that your life is in the hands of another. It's in the hands of a God that loves you, that wants to comfort you, empower you, and nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. In the text we read, it says, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our life is in the hands of a Father who loves us. And often, suffering and waiting go hand in hand. (laughs) Yesterday, I had to wait two whole minutes for my lunch to warm up in the microwave. (laughs) And laugh your little buns off, because that's as lighthearted as we're going to get this morning. (laughs) We, We wait for weeks to get an answer about the job interview. And we wait and hope and pray for a prodigal son or daughter to return to their first love of Jesus. We wait for the results from an audit from our business, on our business. And we wait for the pathology results from our doctor. We wait for a family member or dear friend to get out of surgery from that tragic car crash. And we wait and the list goes on. You fill in the blank. What are you waiting for today? Four years ago, our youngest daughter was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and Kathy and I were just devastated by that news, and both remember the turmoil and the emotions we went through while we waited for that surgery day. And the surgery lasted, lasted for 12 hours, and the tumor had woven, away, woven through her nerves, and as the surgeon intricately burned away at that tumor, we waited in the waiting room. And we waited, and we prayed, and we waited. And our hearts were heavy, and the love for our sweet daughter oozed through every bone in our bodies. But it was during that time, during those days that led up to surgery, and during those 12 hours, that I had a glimpse more than ever in my lifetime that our hearts ache, but we always have joy. Where did that come from? I can't fully explain it, but I know it was the very presence of God who loves us and he knew exactly what we needed in that moment. 
And I firmly believe without years of learning to carve out time each day and to sit in the presence of God, learning who he really is, reading the scriptures and spending time in his presence, that that time would have been much, much more difficult. The surgery was successful, the tumor wasn't malignant, and the strength that God has built in our daughter is absolutely amazing and beautiful. And some of the peace we felt that day come from a, came from a different way. On the day of our surgery, our dear friends Doug and Terry came to sit with us, and they beat us to the hospital. <laughs> And they stayed all 12 hours of that surgery and beyond, and then again the next day. And they never once gave us advice or solutions to our grief, but they just stayed, (laughs) and they listened, and they prayed, and they waited and sat by our side. And they manifested the compassion and the love of Jesus, and and, and they were a light in the middle of the darkness. If you know someone that's waiting, don't let them wait alone. (laughs) And the Bible's full of examples of men and women having to wait. Uh, Picture with me, if you will, with this, this story. Picture this giant waiting room, you know, as big as this room or bigger. And you're in there, and as you look around, you see that Abraham's sitting right next to you. And he's been there a long, long time. He's an old man now. And he's been waiting for a promise for a son that would multiply his dependence into countless millions for generations to come. We're those generations now. And he's waiting patiently. And he's going to stick it out as long as it takes and hard as it gets. He believed in the promises of God. Noah's sitting over here, and he's looking out the window into a blue sky with no no clouds in it, waiting for rain and a whole bunch of it. And he's flipping through a boat-building magazine. (laughs) And he believed in the promises of God. And you look across from you and see Rachel, and Rachel is she's patiently waiting with great integrity, waiting on God for a husband. And she believed in the promises of God. And you see others, David's there, (laughs) and Jeremiah, and Job, and Daniel, and Joseph, and others. And they're all waiting, and they've all gone before us as an example of how to wait. Do you know their stories? (laughs) They're waiting for God to respond, waiting for God to keep his promise, waiting for God to speak, waiting for God to answer, waiting for God to heal, waiting for God to act. And while we wait, all the promises of God are still there and they're still true. They're our foundation for hope. This verse is in Lamentations. It's going to come on the screen. I love this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. 
It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Amen. But if you're all like, you're at all like me, there's those times you want to squirm out of your problems. Maybe I'm the only one that does that. You want to get out of the trouble and the painful circumstances by trying to force a solution. And you're not wanting to wait for the endurance to have its full effect, like me. And sometimes we look at the shortest route out of our troubles when God actually has a different plan to display his glory through us and in us. When God in his deep love for us is actually calling us to wait in the midst of the most difficult disappointment. And he has something way bigger, way more wonderful for you in mind. Well, our ultimate, ultimate example is always Jesus. And if you ever ask a question in church, you say, Jesus, you get the right, that's the right answer. But Jesus started his ministry by going out into the wilderness for 40 days, and he was tempted there by Satan. But Jesus resisted the temptations. But what was Satan's strategy? Satan was proposing a shortcut to redemption. Here's a way to squirm out of your problems, Jesus. Got this for you. Satisfy your hunger without instant bread of feeding on the word of God. Win instant fame by jumping off this temple wall. Do the redemption thing without having to suffer. Become a king without having to become a servant. Wear a crown without the excruciating and physical and emotional pain of the cross. Jesus resisted all the shortcuts. <laughs> Why? Because of the joy set before him. Because of his deep love for you and for me. Because a God who weeps with you, a God who bleeds with you, a God who dies for you, is a God who understands, a God who can be trusted, a God who comforts, and a God who can help anyone cope with any kind of trouble that ever comes. God never lets our suffering go in vain. <laughs> this is in 2 Corinthians, again, it says, all praise to God. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Comfort, comfort, comfort. <laughs> When we're going through troubles, that's our ability to be able to comfort others. He doesn't use any of our troubles in vain. And he not only com comforts us so that we can comfort others, but he gives us everything we need so that when difficulty or disappointment or suffering comes, we don't need to be full of fear and panic, but we have a firm foundation, a firm trust in the faithfulness of God. I have a friend who absolutely 
loves Jesus, uh, just a serious passion for Jesus. He's about half my age. And so, you know, I, he, I've asked him for permission to do this. We, we talk about once a week on the phone. Um, and he's, he's serving time in prison for, for something that he's repented of fully. And since he's been locked up, he's had some really devastating things happen to him outside of the prison walls. And so he's not only locked up, working through the things of his past, but he's also suffering these new things, and it's a tough, tough place to be. But while he suffers through the incredible pain of it all, he uses every available moment to study the scriptures, sitting in God's presence, listening to, for words that God might want to speak to others on his behalf, on their behalf. He leads the prison Bible study, he leads worship, and he's leading many other fellow inmates to Jesus. <laughs> Before he started his time and for the few, first few months behind bars, it was mostly me pouring into his life. But that has changed. <laughs> and although he might not say it, our conversations to have turned to him pouring into me. He always starts by asking, can I start us off by praying? And we're on the clock. We get 30 minutes, and then the phone goes dead. And sometimes we end by praying, and it's right in the middle of a prayer. And I know he continues that <laughs> in the silence. And he'll ask about how things are with me, and I'll usually have a scripture of a word of encouragement for him. But most of our time is spent with him telling me about the marvelous things <laughs> that he's learning about how God loves him, about the love of God and who he is from studying his scriptures. And I'm amazed at his authenticity and his passion for Jesus. I'm amazed at how God's using him to be a blessing of comfort to others in the middle of his pain. And we all have stories like that. And as hard as it might be for me to say this right here, right now, I don't believe that I would trade any of the difficulties I'm going through in this season or any other season in my lifetime for that matter because of the things that God has done and is doing in me. They've given me opportunities, opportunities to trust him, opportunities to be dependent on him, opportunities for joy, opportunities to comfort others opportunities to grow stronger with a strength that I could never accomplish on my own. But some of you are here and saying, hey, everything's going really good. <laughs> I don't have a care in the world. Things just couldn't be better. And we rejoice in you for that. We love those times. God promises those times as well. But I would also say this, how you live your life when all is well matters. <laughs> when you're feeling healthy, when things are going well, it should produce in us a deeper gratitude and worship, not self-reliance and pride. And when things are going well, we need to be able to say like David, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek the most, 
is to live in the presence of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. When things are going well, is being in God's presence the one thing you seek the most? When things are going well, is your most prized possession the word of God? (laughs) If our answer is yes, and then when suffering comes, we can confidently say this in 2 Corinthians, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and lasts forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now, but rather we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. What a great promise that is. We're almost done. Our hope is not found in understanding why God has allowed our suffering. Our hope isn't found in believing that somehow we'll tough our way through this. Our hope isn't found in our resilience and our ingenuity. Our hope is not found in doctors, lawyers, pastors, friends, or family. And those are all very, very important things, very important things, and they all serve a tremendous purpose. But ultimately, our hope rests in the faithful and gracious presence of a God who cares and a God who is with us. A God who is growing us into the men and women he intends us to be and sees us becoming. A God who promises us a future glory that will last for eternity. Something just came to my mind that's not anywhere on my notes here, but... If any of you have heard of Francis Chan, he has this great illustration, and he brings a rope into his teaching, and, and it's a pretty long rope. And on the very end of it, uh, he has a little piece of red tape about this long. And then the rest of it, he stretches out, and it goes up an aisle, and he says, imagine that that rope goes around and around and around and around and around for affinity, keeps wrapping around the earl. He said, this is your life. <laughs> And we, ga- we keep our gaze on all that happens after that in eternity, looking at the face of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? I, just, I, just rem- I was just reminded of that. So there you go. That's a good word. In Lamentations, it says this, Yet I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, (laughs) for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God isn't weakened by what weakens us. He's not confused by what confuses us. He never finds himself out of control or panicky. (laughs) He's not afraid. 
He doesn't respond impulsively. He doesn't dread the next day. He doesn't have anxiety. (laughs) He never gives up on us, and he always keeps his promises. That's good news. (laughs) He is unlimited in his power. He is authority over everything. He is perfect in every way, and he lives within us. And his promise in Matthew 28 is that I'm always with you. I am with you always. Is there any part of always that you don't believe? (laughs) When our greatest passion is to be in the presence of God all the days of our life, and when we fully are surrendered to Jesus and begin to tap into his provisions and know and understand his promises from the word of God, we will find a strength beyond anything we have ever experienced. I'm going to finish by reading Romans 8 one more time. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but he gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to us, or raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Don't you love that? He's pleading for us right at this moment. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing Nothing, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me? Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.